Hey friend, I am glad that you are here with me this week to listen in on my conversation with Scott Walker. He's sharing openly and candidly about his personal experience with bipolar disorder and the tools, the systems, the techniques that he has used to help himself become free of medication and live that way for the better part of the last 10 years. If you're new to energy work or energy medicine, this is a great episode to listen in on because we get into that as well as some other great topics. If you know someone who has bipolar disorder or you know someone who does, I hope that you will take this all in and share this with them and understand that while this is by no means a singular solution, there's always hope, there's always alternatives and opportunities for healing. I hope you find this helpful and I'm glad you're here today. Hey there, friends. Are you looking for tools to resolve stress, reliable information to support your whole health, tips to help you motivate yourself and identify when motivation is fading before it happens, implementation, accountability, and someone to remind you to celebrate even the small successes where you could find tools you can use and accountability in a community that cheers you on where information about health trends and lifestyle is reliable and straightforward. I know that you have what it takes to up-level your health habits and restore your resilience. You just might need a boost to start building momentum. I've designed a membership where you can choose the level of support you'd like to get every month, whether it's tuning in to connect with like-minded change makers or getting personalized support with one-on-one coaching to help you chart your path to success. Check out the link for the Velocity membership at happifiedlife.com. Special pre-launch pricing is now available for premium support, but you can jump in for free if you just want to test the waters. I look forward to seeing you inside. Living in a stressful world doesn't mean you have to give up on happiness. Instead, you can shift your perspective of stress and discover how to live your life in flow. Welcome to Happified. I'm your host, Susie Vine. Join me for inspiration and interviews with folks who are shining their light in the world in the areas of positive mindset, health, and wellness. I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome back. I am so excited to have you with us this week as I introduce you to Scott Walker, who has created some powerful programs arising from his own personal experience. So I'm really looking forward to sharing his insights and wisdom that he has gained along his own journey today. Scott Walker is a radically open-minded, curious, and conscious man who lovingly embraces holistic health. Clearly, you can see we're already aligned. <laughs> His business, Tiaho, has three distinct areas of focus. The first is teaching and creating both group and individual experiences to connect with universal sphere. The second is supporting people diagnosed with bipolar disorder and consistently being mentally stable. Last and certainly not least, Scott leads mental health awareness events through Tiaho. So I'm so glad you're here with me. Thanks for making time. And Every time I look at your background, I'm just brought to peace. So I love this space that you're creating for us here. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm grateful to be here, Susie. And just to give some context, it it hides the cinder block wall. So that's, but yeah, no, I love the, just beautiful, beautiful, calming background. And yeah, I'm really grateful to have it. It just goes to show like we can make little modifications to upgrade even the least inspiring space. Very true. Very, very true. <laughs> 
I mean, yeah, it's the same as a lot of places that have murals in the towns and that sort of thing. You know, it'll be a blank wall and some artist makes a beautiful mural. Right. It's just about looking for those opportunities and making the most of them. For sure. So you're joining us from Canada near Banff. So I'm so happy to have you with us and this, the beauty of being able to meet online and cross these kind of distances. Very true. Yeah, we're fortunate to have this technology now to be able to do that. So tell us a little bit about your experience. I believe this was, you know, there's rarely light bulb moments and instant cures when it comes to the struggles that we have in feeling balanced and having a more positive outlook. And certainly, I think a lot of people may misunderstand what bipolar disorder means. So can you give us a kind of an idea of of your own experience and what we might understand if we know somebody who's working with this? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for asking. So obviously, like anyone who's had a major medical issue, I mean, my bipolar journey, I could probably talk about it for a couple days, but for your benefit and the listener's benefit, I'll condense it as brief as I can. So that being said, it's hard to not want to feel extremely confident, extremely energetic and not have a lot of sleep, right? It's it's hard to say no to that. Um, and then finally, things came to a head on New Year's Day, and I pulled my mom into a room at my aunt and uncle's, and I said to my mom, I said, hey, you know, I've been acting strange the last week or so, and I know I have, and I have to get checked out medically here. So I checked myself into the local hospital. They then transferred me to a large hospital in Auckland. And sure enough, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, because at that point, my brain was going nonstop and had been for give or take a week. So they put me on some very heavy medications, which I'm grateful they did just to slow my mind down. And yeah, I ended up being in the hospital for three weeks and then come forward to this time. So at this point in my life, I was diagnosed over 21 years ago. I've had four manic episodes. So that episode I described in New Zealand was a manic episode. That's how most people get diagnosed with bipolar disorder because bipolar disorder is the the high highs and the low lows. So if someone strictly has low lows, of course, that's very sad. That being said, that's depression, of course. But once you add in the high highs, then that's bipolar disorder. So in my case, I've had four manic episodes. And fortunately, in my case, the last one I had was December 2013. So, you know, I'm putting the intention out there that that's the final one in my life. I don't know at this point, but I'm pretty, pretty confident that will be the last one that I've had. And I'm extremely fortunate that for over 10 years now, I'm med free. And uh, that's with my doctor's support. And that's also with the support of the last psychiatrist I saw that was in December 2013, when I had that fourth and ideally final manic episode. Yeah. And, and uh, kind of the second question you had around bipolar disorder, some people, I find more and more, I run into people now that they'll know someone who's moody and either that person who's moody or their family and friends will just say they're bipolar. And, you know, with me, I say this with compassion and love, but bottom line is there's a massive difference between someone who is moody and someone who's had a manic episode and major depression. Because, you know, in my experience, again, I would never, never minimalize anyone's moods or challenges. That being said, though, like in my experience, the difference between someone who gets really happy and someone who's manic 
is probably 10 or 20 fold. Like it's a big, big difference. Same thing with someone who, who gets down and mildly depressed. I mean, of course, sadly, if someone is suicidal, of course, that's a deep depression. But in general, someone who is moody and feeling down, they're not reaching that deep, deep, deep depression where they're seriously considering taking their own life. So that I feel will answer that second question you tied in with that. Just explaining a little bit about bipolar and how it relates to the people out there. Well, and I think that really brings up an important point in that perception is so important to recognize that we perceive the people that we know, oh, they're being moody right now. That's not like them. And so we notice a difference, but we can never be inside someone else's head or really understand what they're going through. We need for them to tell us, or like you were able to do, you know, when, with your initial experience, when you were able to say to your mom, I don't feel right. I need to get help address this manic state that you recognize you're in. And I think that might be hard for people to step into, to have that perspective and recognize within themselves that they're really at that extreme state. And to, unfortunately, because we still have so much stigma around mental health issues, to ask for help or know how and where to ask for help. It's very true. I mean, the vast majority of people, they do not go voluntarily to get assessed and you know, I say that from with compassion again, like I was extremely fortunate because when I was a university student, I actually had a summer job for three years and I worked at the largest psychiatric hospital in Manitoba. I was actually helping with the recreation programs. And, you know, looking back, I was just really fortunate because I had a little bit of exposure to a wide range of mental illnesses that residents at that center had because some of them were acute residents and some of them were there for life. So I had a bit of knowledge and a little bit of experience around, you know, depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. So because I had that little bit of experience and tiny bit of knowledge, I just knew that when I was in that altered state, you know, in New Year's of the new millennium there, I knew that there was something wrong. And, you know, a lot of most people, vast majority do not have that experience of working in that sort of center for even a short time in their life, or knowing a lot of people that have different types of mental illnesses that have actually disclosed them. So I was extremely fortunate that I had that experience, because otherwise, I think more than like my mom, my brother, my relatives would have done their best to gently convince me to go to the hospital. You know, I'm sure they would have, because they could tell I, I was definitely in an altered state. I wasn't the, the normal Scott that I am. Well, and I think that really shines a light on, you know, I don't know if I get to call it a fact, but I believe there are no coincidences, right? So I believe that your experience as an intern or in that early working opportunity was just aligned, you know, to put you in that place to have the awareness that it just points out to me that you're on exactly the path you were intended to, to help the people that you're now able to share these perspectives with. Yeah, I would agree. It's that cool experience of connecting the dots, looking backwards, right? I know Steve Jobs has a speech about that, and we've all heard that expression. And it's so true. Like, as it's happening, the dots don't always line up. You're like, why is this happening? You know, this can be very frustrating and almost consuming at times, trying to figure out why this is happening. But of course, the gift of 2020 hindsight, looking back, it's like, yeah, you can definitely see how the dots aligned and I'll just share one other really, really 
cool synchronicity related to my my start of my bipolar journey. So <clears throat> as I mentioned I, briefly, I was working in Japan at the time. And when I was diagnosed in New Zealand, the very well-meaning psychiatrists, doctors, nurses, they said, you should go back to Canada with your mom. And in my own mind, there was number one, I thought, you know what, if I go back to live with my mom, I think I'm actually going to go backwards. Nothing against my mom. But at that point, I'd been living overseas on my own for, you know, a year and a half. And I was a fully grown man. And it's like, do do I really want to go back to live with my mom? So that was one thought. The second thought, I guess, is more the pride piece. I really wanted to finish my contract working in Japan. So uh, just before I left for New Zealand, uh, that the previous Christmas, one of my adult students had a house party because I was an English teacher in Japan. And at her house party, I met one of her cousins. And her cousin was born in Japan, but spent her teenage years in Australia. So she was fluent in English. And um, so when I got back to Japan, um, you know, I was told I had to go see a Japanese psychiatrist. So needless to say, I was pretty nervous because my Japanese level was about that much. So I reached out to this friend who had the house party and I said, oh, could you give me your cousin's phone number? I have a favor to ask her. So she ended up driving me to the psychiatrist appointment in Japan. And on the way there, she told me, oh, by the way, I'm not working right now because long story, but she wasn't working. And then we got to the hospital to see this psychiatrist. He had interned in Boston. So he had amazing English. And then on the way back from this appointment, this friend of mine said to me, oh, by the way, I have bipolar disorder as well. So, I mean, at that point in time, it was really like a godsend. It was like an angel coming into my presence. And, you know, at that point, I I only had four and a half, give or take months left in Japan before I was going back to Canada. But as you can imagine, like, her and I became super close over that time. And it was such a wonderful friendship to develop and such an incredible support for me to have. Because like I say, she wasn't working. She'd been through what I had. She was non-judgmental. She was extremely supportive. And there again, like who would have known when I met her at that house party that it would lead to that? Yes. I think your angels were at work and all the way along the line on that one too, you know, out of the spectrum of therapists you could have been aligned with. I mean, I'm sure many of them have good English considering the extensive training and education that they've, you know, been through, but then to also find someone else who had lived your experience. And I find it interesting too. I mean, perhaps it was after your session that you revealed it was to work through bipolar disorder. And that's when she told you, or I'm curious if she was kind of reluctant to share that information. If 20 years ago, we were not forthcoming about these kinds of issues and we still aren't. (laughs) Yeah. And as you most likely know too, it does depend on the country. Like Japan, as you know, in general, they're amazing people and they tend to be reserved. And I've been told even now, like that was 20 years ago, but I've been told even now that it's pretty much hush hush when someone has a mental illness. Like, uh, like I know when I lived there, one of my coworkers at the board of education I showed up for work one day and there's a vase of flowers on his desk. So obviously I knew something was up and I asked my head, the head of the board of education who I worked with, I said, you know, where, where is, uh, where is this coworker? And he said, Oh, he died. He overworked. 
And that was that was the polite way to say that I found out later that, you know, unfortunately he had taken his own life. But in their words, they just said he overworked and, you know, it was just kind of not talked about. And, and yeah, my friend told me like after she was diagnosed with bipolar, it, it was only her direct family that knew she didn't tell anybody else because there was so much stigma and so much, so many stereotypes. And I know even here in North America, stigma and stereotypes are getting better. However, there's still a lot out there. Yes. And that's why I'm so grateful that you're doing what you're doing and carrying this mission forward, you know, being visible so that people can look at the work that you're doing and your experience and say, oh, okay, if Scott's doing it, I can do it too. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. We all have that capability. We all have that ability to prove our mental health, whether we have a diagnosed mental health issue or not. So I think that people listening or watching would probably like to know because we are familiar with, you know, people with psychiatric issues being put on medications, they can be difficult to come off of. So what would you say is the number one thing that's helped you become and, and even stay medication free in your, your own journey, which we're also going to say is singular. And you did it with the help of medical professionals to make sure you were healthy enough to stay off of prescriptions. What's your secret? <laughs> no, it's a great question. And I mean, this answer might sound like it's not definitive enough. However, I feel the number one thing is to be radically open-minded because I'm in a number of bipolar support groups on Facebook. I don't go in them that much, but most of the people, what they're talking about is the medication they're on and the side effects and what they can do to switch medications, what they can do to get a different medication, what they can do to reduce medication. That's like almost the entire focus of most of these groups, in my experience, is medication. And, um, and you know, in my experience, even when I was on medication the last couple of years, I was looking into a lot of different things. You know, I was starting to meditate, I was starting to eat a little bit better, and then as my bipolar journey progressed, I started to looking, looking at more and more non-traditional things. And yeah, like even books, for example, and a lot of those support groups, the only books they talk about are books about bipolar disorder. And don't get me wrong, that's great. Like, I think it's, it's wonderful to read biographies, people's experiences. There are a couple of good resources out there for bipolar-specific books, in my experience. However, I feel... Like I was more drawn to reading books and studying books about mindset because I thought, you know what, for me, that is much more valuable than reading 20 or 30 biographies about bipolar disorder. It's like, okay, how can I do my best to improve my through my mindset, to improve my, my actions, my thoughts, my behaviors through my mindset? Because as you know, uh, unless we're sleeping, uh, we're always thinking and, uh, that's the one thing we're in control of. So that's why I feel that being radically open-minded can has led me to many things that I'll just say the vast majority of people with bipolar disorder haven't looked at. Mm, that's so powerful. That's so powerful, being radically open-minded and understanding that, you know, the psychiatrist or the therapist, the people that you're working with have tools in their toolkit that have worked for their other clients or patients and different tools work for everyone, right? So you're never limited to what 
is in their zone of genius. There's always more opportunities available. And so I love that you made this leap for yourself. Like, what do I need to do? I need to do better things with my thoughts and no one's answering this question. So where can I find out how to have more positive thoughts? Okay. Let's dig into mindset, which is really, I mean, that's my happy place. I love the information that's coming out of positive psychology and the fact that we can through neuroplasticity, start to literally wire our brains to default to positive. Now, obviously that's not in light of, you know, chemical imbalances, which can happen because as you mentioned, you know, addressing your diet is supportive. We don't pay attention to the chemicals that we ingest, that we live with and the ways that those can impact us. So there's influence that comes in from so many different areas. And yet if we choose one area to start to up-level, be that mindset, be that cleaning up the food that we're eating, then we can start to make space for more opportunities or aha moments and start moving in a stronger direction. Very true. So was it meditation or was it a movement practice? Where did you start to see the initial improvement for yourself? Good question. I would say that for me, meditation was huge. I started doing very, very short, uh, Eat, uh, just breath work meditations. You know, I literally started with a minute. Well, actually, the first thing I started with was some guided meditations. And then I told myself, you know, I'd really like to attempt meditating without uh, being guided. So I literally started with a minute of silence with breath work, and that felt like forever. And then I did that for a few days, and then I bumped it up to two minutes and then three minutes. So, yeah, so for me, meditation was huge. And as I already mentioned, um, diet for me was a big thing. You know, I'm, I'm someone that used to, looking back, have quite a bit of simple carbohydrates as a breakfast. And I'd almost have some sort of refined sugar, like be it stirred yogurt or, or what have you. And, uh, you know, just learned how non-ideal it is for, I would say, anyone, let alone someone with the illness that I live with, to have simple carbohydrates and some refined sugar first thing in the morning. Yeah. So those are the, I would say the first things. And then after a couple of years, then I, I started getting into more mindset and then a little ways down the line. then I started getting into energy work, which for me transplanted meditation. It's uh, you know, meditation is still something that I love, especially group meditation. However, I do feel that for me, energy work is even more powerful. So yeah. And then say the last year, especially because of being in this, I'll just say interesting time we're living in now, I've really embraced how critical support is from friends and or family. And yeah, so I mean, I've got to the point where I'm extremely fortunate. I've got a, a core group of extremely supportive people in my life. And those are people that I'm in contact with on a regular basis. And yeah, they're there to help me if I'm having a a challenging time. And yeah, so that's something that I've definitely realized how increasingly important that is the further my journey goes. Yes, absolutely. I'm really glad that you brought that up. And we're definitely coming back to discuss your energy work and how that supported you. But I think it's really important to take a minute to check in on this, the power of community and staying connected. Because I think when we get stressed out, I mean, simply speaking to stress, we tend to withdraw, you know, maybe we think we don't want to bring other people down or they won't understand what we're going through or their times are harder than our times. 
And that's exactly when we get so much more support from being in community, from making that effort to stay engaged and looking for the people who will listen to us, but who we can also listen to, to put things into perspective, recognize that while our problems may feel overwhelming, you know, there's more going on. It helps to get a little bit of context. Um, It's so important to be in community. And you mentioned that you're a member of several different bipolar support groups. Are those on Facebook? Yeah. As I say, I I do very little in those, in all honesty. But, you know, that being said, I do admire the people who are, you know, doing their best to improve their bipolar disorder journey and to potentially make connections and that sort of thing. Yeah, I do find that communities that I'm most engaged in are are outside of those groups. Yes. And to your point, as you were talking about those, you know, they seem to be very focused on the medication issues and not really bringing in a lot of resources or other ideas in terms of improving their situations. So it's a starting point. And there are so many different groups and communities on Facebook. I haven't fallen down the Reddit rabbit hole, but I understand there's some strong communities there. You have to use discernment when you're looking at where you're getting your information from, but it can be really helpful to connect with a group who is sharing your experience when you don't see that reflected in your inner circle amongst your family and friends. So that is an opportunity or a solution. If somebody's feeling disconnected, nobody understands what I'm going through. There are ways in which we can be reaching out and reestablishing that. So I think that's really helpful. Oh, certainly. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I interviewed fairly early on, it's one of my earlier episodes, men's coach, Travis Belanger, who's also Canadian. And he has a group on Facebook called Men on Fire. And I love that. It's very much in terms of just helping men recognize, you know, that they can up-level their relationships or their life and, you know, personal development. Because I don't think when we work in these circles, we tend to think, oh, everybody's heard all of the personal development books or gurus or thought leaders. And there are a lot of people who haven't really been introduced to that space. So there's a lot of room to explore and find something that resonates. Yeah, I agree. And I'll quickly say I'm very fortunate. I've been in a men's group since May of last year. And uh, yeah, in our men's group, there's uh, seven of us right now besides our fearless leader. And yeah, there's one of the members, he, he reads like two books a week and he's always sharing books with us. And uh, I know for me, I tend to focus on a couple books and kind of really hone in on those. But you know, it's amazing to get the sharing of resources. And it was really interesting, because I know he was right. But at the start of our meeting last week, he was sharing about this book he had just read. And then sure enough, when we got into the learning part of the meeting, our leader was referring to that book. So it's just ironic how that how that works sometimes. Signs start pointing you towards, oh, I guess I should pick that one up and take a look. (laughs) Totally. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So thank you for bringing up that point of community. When we don't find the community or the support that we need within our immediate circle, there are ways in which we can be connected. So I love to shine a light on that. That's part of why I started my membership program is to help build community around looking for ways to up-level our lifestyle and habits, you know, because we don't always see that right there at home. So it's good to find other ways and people to cheer you on as you're looking for your solutions. So. Oh yeah, I agree a hundred percent. It's uh, yeah, I know I'm, I'm fortunate. Like I said, I'm in a few different communities right now and yeah, it's always wonderful to both receive and give support in those communities when it's like-minded aligned people. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. 
And so I'd like to go back to what you're talking about, um, energy work, energy medicine, and that sort of thing. So what modality did you find, or perhaps multiple, were most supportive for you? Yeah, great question. Here again, I could talk for a long time. I'll keep it as brief as I can. So my first experience with energy work was actually randomly, so it goes back to the dots again, or randomly meeting an Indigenous healer. I was working in downtown Calgary, corporate job. I was on a lunch break and yeah, randomly met this man. And he asked me, he said, oh, uh, do, you, do you consider yourself open-minded? Um, I said, yes. And he's like, can I tell you something? So he then told me about a dream I had had that I'd never told anybody about. So of course I was blown away. And over the course of a year, I had a number of sessions with him and he helped me with many, many, many things. And that was, of course, all energy work. And then for a period of about eight or nine years, I had sessions with someone who is a massage therapist that blends coaching and Reiki. So I had give or take 100 sessions with him. So that was receiving Reiki. And then I guess about five or six years ago, I was at a business course and I met a couple and they have a business that's all about energy work and different modalities that are channeled. So obviously very woo-woo stuff for some people. And um, yeah, and and they were always talking about doing a sphere and we got to do a sphere for this. And and, um, so I got curious and I ended up having a session for Universal Sphere. And it was honestly... After that, it was one of the best sleeps I've ever had in my life. And I thought, okay, there's there's something here. So then I learned how to do Universal Sphere on my own. That's uh, It's known as a next generation energy modality or modality t- energy tool. Yeah. And then over a year of using it for myself, I just it was so powerful that I decided to become an instructor. So yeah. And then I've had different types of energy work along the way. You know, like I've gone to different workshops with a wide range of modalities. But I would say those are kind of my my biggest three experiences would be with the Indigenous healer, number one, about 100 Reiki sessions with this massage therapist, and then Universal Sphere. And then right now in my life, Universal Sphere is something that I use pretty well on a daily basis. And I just became a teacher on Insight Timer, which is an app that some of your listeners might know about. And uh, yeah, I just started doing live events on Insight Timer using Universal Sphere. And I have a, a few audios on there and I'm starting to put on more audios onto that platform. So I'm looking around. I threw my phone across the room so it wouldn't hum while we were in our interview. <laughs> but I think Insight Timer is the app that I use most often just as background noise as I'm meditating. I set it for five minutes and then it makes a bowl chime as I finish. So I will have to take a look for your sessions on Insight Timer. That's terrific. I'm so glad that you're making yourself available and visible there. Yeah. Oh, thanks. It's something, as you know, I mean, it's that app has exploded. Like I started using it in November 2019. And at that point, there was 3.5 million users. And now there's 18 million users. And I think give or take a million people on the app use it every day. So it's wonderful to see so many people around the world connecting through that app, whether so I'm the same as you, I mostly use the timer. Like I use the timer to do energy work for myself and others. I don't listen to a lot of guided meditations or live events personally. However, it's just wonderful to know that so many people are connecting through that app. And yeah, it's just a beautiful, beautiful platform 
I just love it. Oh, that's terrific. Wonderful. And I haven't heard of Universal Sphere before, so I'm glad that you're sharing about that. Do you have more information about those sessions on your website? Yeah, on my website, I do have a page. Uh, Universal Sphere is the like tiaho.org slash Universal Sphere. And that has a whole bunch of info about Universal Sphere, including you know YouTube links of mine and also... There's a page linking to scientific evidence of the benefits. And I also link to some workshops that I lead about Universal Sphere. And there's also a link on there for Insight Timer, my teacher profile. So yeah, it's basically all on that one page on my website. Little one-stop shop. So I didn't understand the connection initially, but now knowing a little bit more of your story and your father's heritage in New Zealand. So your website name is taken from some healing that is a New Zealand practice, Tiaho. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, great question. So Tiaho is a Maori word and Maori are the indigenous people of New Zealand and Tiaho means to shine. So it's like to shine from within. And for me, that word is special in many ways. First of all, for the meaning on its own. Second of all, when I was at that hospital in Auckland, New Zealand, at the start of my bipolar journey, the ward that I was in is called Tiaho Mai. And when I was leaving that ward, I actually took a business card and looked up the meaning. So yeah. And then of course, for me, I'm a dual citizen of New Zealand because of my father. So, you know, I just... I feel a real resonance with New Zealand. And I do find as well that as I go along with my life journey, that I have more and more respect and curiosity for Indigenous people and Indigenous learnings. And uh, so, yeah, there's a number of meanings in there for Tiaho. And uh, I know some people say to me, you know, it's it's not a good name because it's not common and it's not easily pronounced for some, but I actually like the fact that it's a little bit different. And maybe that comes from me because my name, you know, Scott Walker, I have such a common name. Maybe that's part of it. But I I honestly love the fact that it's a very short name. It's very simple, yet it's got a lot of meaning. And uh, and yeah, it's for some people, they get curious just because they haven't even seen that word before. I love that. I love that to shine. I think that's so perfect and appropriate. And again, you know, just kind of illuminating that journey, looking back on the dots and it all started in the Tiaho Mai wing. I was lucky enough to be in New Zealand briefly at the beginning of last year, right before we kind of went into lockdown. I was traveling with my parents and we went from Sydney, Australia, around the East coast of New Zealand. And it's an extraordinary place and definitely somewhere I want to go back to. It's very powerful land. So yeah, I'm glad you were able to go. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. And I have to admit, I've seen, I won't say all, but a lot of the North Island. However, I've only seen a tiny bit of the South Island. So I would love to see more of the South Island. That's for sure. Yes. And and I think too, it's really exciting. And I've I've mentioned before, you know, I turned my attention to holistic health about five years ago. And that's when I really dug into the study of science, physiology, and it all just clicked. Like it never had before when I was in my undergraduate 20 years ago, 20 plus, I got out of science as soon as I could. It just was not my jam. But when I was studying recently, it was fascinating to discover how much they've recognized within that span of 20 years. There's very different concepts. I mean, even neuroplasticity is a newer concept, maybe 30 years old. 
But it's fascinating now to be in this time where science is kind of catching up with these very fundamental, we want to call them primitive practices of energy work, of toning and chanting, breath work. All of this now is being borne out by the evidence that people have been holding back and waiting for. You know, So I think it's a really exciting time to be in. I'm a Reiki practitioner myself. And so I think it's a beautiful modality. There are a lot of different variations as people take what works for them and then make it their own or add their own special skills, abilities, or insights. And I think if it's something that you're not familiar with, if you haven't worked with energy medicine or energy work before, and you have the opportunity, like your experience when someone asked if you were open-minded and shared the insight that they had had into your own, really, I mean, that's an amazing experience to have a dream described to you. But I think that the opportunities come along at the right time. And so if an opportunity presents itself, I hope that if it's something unfamiliar to our audience, they might take that as, you know, maybe a little sign, a signal it's worth considering because there are some powerful shifts that can happen. I agree hundred percent. Like you most likely know this, but there's more and more hospitals, especially in the U.S. that are using Reiki in the hospital, which I think is incredible. Um, and I don't know the book, but I know I'm aware of a book that is all about scientific studies that have been used showing that what Reiki does and the effects of Reiki. And yeah, there's more and more people realizing that, you know, this, this woo woo stuff actually has tangible health benefits and mental health benefits. And I'll just quickly share that for me, like, one of the main things that I do when I start to feel down in a mild depression is I will do energy work for somebody else. Because as your listeners might know from their experience, typically, well, to say, speaking for me, when I'm in a mildly depressed state, everything is about me, 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 you know, my life, my life sucks, I suck. I'm not thinking about other people. So by doing energy work for somebody else, Number one, it gets me out of my head. Number two, I know that whether that person feels or experiences anything or not, they're receiving that energy. So that's one of the ways how I use energy work with my mental health. And yeah, I just find, I don't know about you, but I find more and more, there's so many people I'm meeting that are curious about energy work or do energy work or have received energy work. Like even two months ago, I have an older car. And I knew that I had to get a new battery for quite a while. And sure enough, I went to start it one day, car didn't start. So I have a really good local shop here and they're very honest and they're very, very uh, considerate of, you know, my, my car and my, my budgetary needs for my car. So I'm not going to spend a lot on an older car. Right. But anyways, so I had to take the car in there. They're going to switch the battery out for me. And, uh, so I did energy work before starting the car, before taking it to the shop. And sure enough, the car started. And then when I got to the shop, I just left it there, picked it up later. And uh, the uh, office manager, she said to me, oh, so did a friend boost you this morning to, before you brought your car over? I said, no, actually, I did some energy work on my car. And then it started. And she said, and she's like, whoa, she's like, well, yeah, when we tested your battery, it was dead. But then she said to me, oh, yeah, but I'm, I'm kind, of, kind of curious about energy work and stuff. So then we had a conversation and that. But, you know, that's just a, a small example of I don't assume and expect, 
that that's always going to happen. Like I knew that there was a chance my car wouldn't start. However, I put all of my intention and energy into asking for and receiving support energetically for my car to start to get me to the shop and it happened. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's so cool that they tested the battery is hundred percent dead yet. My car still started. That support is available when we need it. We just have to ask for it. Totally. That's such a powerful insight. And thank you for that story. I hope that resonates with people. I have a number of friends who practice Reiki and they'll, as the gas tank is getting low, sometimes we woos can be a little absent-minded and forget to fill up the tank, (laughs) (laughs) but it, it can be helpful in those situations, blessing the food that we eat. You know, if we aren't eating the most optimal food, Sure, organic, plant-based, whole food diet, that's the way to go. But if you take some take a moment and bless the food and ask to receive the nutrients and nutrition that you need, you know, these moments of mindfulness are so powerful. And I think we just need to recognize that the first and most important step is to ask. Ask for the help when we need it and then understand that it's available if we're looking for it. Very true. Yeah. Beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Oh, my pleasure. And, and as you know, I mean, and most of your listeners know, I'm sure that we're surrounded 24-7 by an ever-present loving and supportive energy. And it's up to us to ask for that support and to tap into that support because it, it's always there. We're surrounded by it, whether we know it or not. Yes, absolutely. One of the modalities that I use is Bach flower essences which are very different from essential oils. A lot of people hear that and think they're the same, but they're another energetic um, remedy. And what Dr. Bach said, you know, is the greatest cause of disease is this illusion of separation from that universal energy. So the more we can reconnect or recognize we're feeling separate and isolated and recognize that that is an illusion that is coming in between us and the way we we should be plugged in then we can find the solutions to get back to it. Totally. Beautiful. And you have a special gift for the folks who are tuning in. We're going to have a link in the show notes, but would you let us know a little bit about your gifted audios you're making available? Oh, certainly. Thanks, Susie. So the gifted audios, they're ones that I custom created and they're 10 minutes long, so they're not super long. And one of them has music. One of them is strictly my voice. And essentially, they're universal sphere experiences. And they're similar to a guided meditation. However, they do have the added enhancement of energetic expansion. So I would say that the most common responses I've had from people that have cared to share their experience after listening to them is that they tend to feel more calm and relaxed, yet energized after listening to them. And uh, yeah, essentially those, those audios are available for you to download. You can listen to them at any time. Um, I know some people that listen to those audios when they are feeling more stressed or what have you. So yeah, essentially those are audios for your listeners to check out for those who it resonates with. And they are, I feel, a, a great tool for your toolkit, whatever else is in the toolkit as well. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Check out these tools for your toolkit. See how they can support you. Is there anything else that we didn't get a chance to cover? We've we've covered some good stuff today. I'm so grateful for your time and being present. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. No, I'm just grateful to be here. And I guess the only last quick thing I'll say is that it was said in my bio that I do lead mental health awareness events. So to say to your listeners, I mean, if you know of anyone who has bipolar disorder, consider 
just sharing this podcast with them and also consider just mentioning that I actually lead uh, an annual bipolar awareness fundraising hike. So this coming June is our seventh annual one. And I'm extremely fortunate this year. I've got six friends joining me for 24 hours. It's called Banff 24 Hours for Bipolar. So we're doing a hike in town that's a very, very small mountain. And we're doing that for 24 hours, essentially. So we take a big break every six hours and we fundraise for different important for two different causes. And I usually get some media attention out of that, which I'm fortunate for. And yeah, I decided to mention that because um, I have to admit personally, that event is pretty well always the highlight of my year personally. And I do have some people in my life with bipolar disorder that are, are very thankful that that event happens because it gives a real public voice to bipolar disorder, which doesn't happen very often. Yeah. And then just the last thing I'll say too, is that if, if, if any of you are curious about either the universal sphere that was mentioned or any of the sessions and offerings I have for mental stability, you know, please check out uh, my website. Yes. We'll have that link in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thanks for bringing your conversation today and doing the work that you do and shining your light. I'm so grateful that we're connected, Scott. My pleasure. Thanks again, Susie. I greatly appreciated this opportunity and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Thanks. You too. Thank you for tuning in today. Check out the show notes for any links we mentioned. To learn more about living life with less stress and more flow, visit happifiedlife.com. And if you found value in today's episode, make sure you subscribe to catch the next one and leave a review to help fellow pod surfers find Happified. Until next time, keep on shining.